You're listening to the Taming Hindrances Podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. That's right. Come get triggered on the Teaming Hindrances podcast. My name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And as always, we're here to talk about self-awareness and mental health. And today's topic of uh, discussion is language. And uh, language, like some other things I've discussed, is another big, huge topic. But I think we can break this down into some smaller pieces that can really be effective for how we look at our own mental state, how we got to the mental state we're in, why we continue to be in the mental states we are in, and how language can really affect the way not only we look at things, but also how we interpret things. Specifically, what I'd like to get into overall is the language you surround yourself with. So as I go through the discussion, um, that's really the major topic for language is what kind of language have you surrounded yourself with? or are surrounded with, maybe it's not your choice and maybe you don't have as much control over it as you'd like, or have no control over it at all and how that can affect our mental well-being, affect the way we think about things, the way we interact with people or uh, the world around us. And specifically then to get a little bit more uh, into the minutia, what kind of language are you regularly using and and how can that affect you and, and why does that affect us? In different ways. So specifically, let's look at language to start. And again, language is a big, broad topic. There are a lot of languages in the world, and there have been many languages that we've already lost that have, you know, we consider them ancient languages or languages that have just died out. And a lot of language today is based on older languages that maybe we don't have a complete understanding of, Or maybe we just don't even know the history of the languages that we've gotten into. With that comes the idea that that a lot of of topics that get discussed and a lot of things that we absorb, specifically through the languages that we use, may be misrepresented because of a misunderstanding of language. Specifically in the English language, we have a massive dichotomy of different ways of interpretation, different ways of speech patterning. Um, I've talked before about connotation and perception. And these things really change the way we look at subjects and how we interact with subjects. The English language as a whole is a bastardization of Anglo-Saxon German and Latin. And I'm oversimplifying this. I'm sure someone will yell at me about it. And as always, take everything I say with a grain of salt because I'm just an idiot on the internet. But overall, it's a it's a giant bastardization of uh, two major other languages and then there's some sporadic other things added in. And that in and of itself allows a large area to be kind of interpreted as you will. The, the majority of the English languages can be uh, uh, interpreted however you want to. And as much as I would like to go into an, you know, an English lesson or a language lesson overall, that's maybe not 
one my expertise nor the target here. So if you've ever dealt with a language, whatever language that might be, there's an understanding to that language. And language is how we interpret most communication nowadays. Most communication is either done verbally or written. There are social cueing and, you know, nonverbal cues in common speech patterns. I tend to talk a lot with my hands or I'll use different tone structures to try and negotiate this weird, weird world of connotation and perception. But overall, it's still just verbal or nonverbal through reading um, expressions of what we consider information. And how we go about interpreting that has a lot to do with where the information is coming from and, you know, what our own personal beliefs, as I've discussed beliefs before. But I think there's another piece that can be super important. And that piece is what language are you translating things through? And how I, I like to think about this is if you think about having ever discussed anything with someone who maybe isn't a native speaker of your language, or if you're not a native speaker of their language and trying to have a conversation, there needs to be some sort of common ground found in order to get the, get the information across or to either understand each other or in some different ways like that. And a lot of time there's a lot of bigotry behind language and that's a huge issue too. So let's start with, the interpretation side of language interpretation comes from our understanding of language and everyone has a different understanding of language. Everyone understands their own language to a different level. You know, you have someone like a small child who's learning their ABCs or the beginnings of their alphabet and whatever language they are learning. And then you have, you know, collegiate level English professors or, other types of language instructors who speak it at a fluent, crazy understanding level that can correct you on your grammar and vocabulary and other syntax and other different pieces. And I think that level of understanding of a language can give us some ideas as to our understanding level and, and how we're perceiving the language that we're using. I mentioned a couple things there, but the two I want to focus on right now are vocabulary and syntax. First, I'll start with syntax. Syntax can be complicated, and I'm not the one to teach it to you, nor am I the one to discuss it at length. But I am a stickler for how things are used when it comes to syntax. Because that is where a huge misunderstanding can occur in the languages we're using. If we don't quite understand the syntax that's being used or why it's being used. This is what I think the biggest reason for some people getting certain jokes and some people not getting certain jokes. Punchline has a lot to do with syntax. And we misuse words a lot because maybe we don't understand them correctly or we don't have a complete understanding of them and the idea in which they're supposed to be used and how they're supposed to be used. And a lot of that's up to interpretation too. So I'm at fault constantly for using a bad syntax, which I try to correct. That's a self-awareness piece. I'm aware of the language that I use regularly and I try to be better with it. But that being said, I often use the wrong word at the wrong times or I'm my brain's just too far ahead of my mouth 
and I, I, I jumble things up and use a, a word I wasn't supposed to use or didn't mean to use, and then I have to backtrack. So you might catch me doing that fairly often. That's something I've worked on since I was a little kid. So syntax is one of those things that not only allows us to work inside of that world of connotation and, and perception, but also is a good place for us to look at how are we using language? How am I attempting to speak? What is my actual, like, what am I trying to purvey in the language that I'm using? And if you start looking at that, I think you might find some repetition and repetition is the mother of all skill. Failure is its father. So where I fail is often, like I said, using the wrong word at the wrong time because I, I either tried to fit it in and sound smart or uh, I was just too far ahead of my thinking that I'm trying to explain something and it didn't work out quite, quite correctly. And by failing at that and then understanding that I failed in that instance, then I can better convey myself in the future. I can, I can better understand not only what I'm trying to convey and how I can actually convey it to my audience or the individual I have to, you know, express something to at work or on the street or even, you know, the person taking my order. These are important ideas of how to use language in a self-awareness aspect. And, and that really has a lot to do not only with syntax, but vocabulary. And vocabulary is that really important thing that we never knew was really important in school. Some people liked it to some degree, but most people I find anecdotally were just like, vocabulary sucks. I hated learning vocabulary. But the reality is vocabulary is super important. And not just to sound smart and have a big vocabulary, but to understand the topics of discussion. You cannot speak intelligently on something unless you understand the vocabulary of it. This is readily apparent in how we structure the Western world's collegiate academia. The, the world of academia is structured around vocabulary. I would hazard a theory that the competency of a graduate in any vocation and or uh, profession is hindered on, well, is hindered by or given fruition, again, using wrong, this is me using bad vocabulary and syntax. It's either hindered by or um, bolstered by their vocabulary and the understanding thereof. For me to be, I worked in the accounting industry for about four or five years as just, a, you know, I was a basic level bookkeeper, but I also did, you know, beginning level tax return, business tax returns. I also helped with business management. I was very in, I worked for a small firm. So I was very in with the clients and the, the owners of the firm, high level CPAs and other bookkeepers. And I had to speak at a level that not only everyone else in the room could get, but that I could get too. And that required me to have the vocabulary of accounting and also understand at the same time, because I've always applied the principle of me, of my being and professionally, which is people are my business, is that I not only knew or had learned the vocabulary of accounting, I was able to apply my understanding of people so that if someone else didn't have the vocabulary, I could give it to them in either 
not so much a, you know, we always say dumbed down or, you know, those things, but more in a layperson manner where like I consider a layperson someone who doesn't have vocabulary to intelligently or systematically talk about the subject. That's a layperson to me. They don't have that vocabulary. It's not their fault. Maybe they don't need it. But as a professional, it is then my job to be able to express the ideas to them in the understanding that they're a layperson. They don't know what I'm talking about. So I need to not just dumb it down, but really just give them some perspective on it. And that often is based on the person you're talking to and understanding their level of understanding and then being able to have that conversation. So in order for me to be successful and I would have considered myself fairly successful as a good employee to this firm. That's all anecdotally. (laughs) Um, But I was successful and not only just with them, but in like my own personal life. And then also like talking to people who weren't clients were just people I knew or, and discussing financial matters with them. I'm not a financial consultant. I give no financial advice. Take anything I say regarding finances with a grain of salt. I'm just an idiot in that respect, but I do know the vocabulary so I can speak what sounds like intelligent, intelligently about it. So what gave me success in that role was my understanding of the vocabulary. And I did go take some college courses to get that vocabulary. I took some other online courses that weren't collegiate, but were enough. I watched YouTube videos. I was around it regularly. Every day was accounting talk. That that's, was the vocabulary I lived in. I lived in a world where the vocabulary around me was accounting, was finance. And that's where... I kind of, I had had this notion before, but it really, really kicked in when I realized my success in finance was completely coupled to my understanding of the vocabulary thereof. I was only able to afford a home and get savings and really come out of this world of like, I never thought I'd have any chance of not like, you know, a retirement or just like savings in general, being able to afford, you know, sushi when I wanted sushi. Like I never thought that would be a possibility in my life. As much as I worked, as hard as I worked, there was debt and there was other obligations. And, you know, I just had to work myself out of the situation. So I just worked harder not understanding how money worked at all. Well, come four years into accounting, I had pretty much turned my financial world around. You know, I was better with my money. Not that I was bad with it to begin with, but I really understood how money worked. And that took me being surrounded by the conversation of, accounting and finance and the vocabulary that made up those things. What's a balance sheet? What's a profit and loss statement? You know, a debit, a credit, these different vocabulary pieces, you know, what's an asset, what's a liability that gave me a better understanding of how money worked. And then not only could I understand what was being presented to me, I could do my own research and find out more if I had more questions or it was a, a, 
a slow, arduous process, but eventually I was able to look at something and say like, oh, that's a good investment. That's a bad investment. Or, you know, this is a, ooh, the depreciation on that car is terrible. Don't buy that car. That's a, you know, it might look nice, but it's going to depreciate hard and not be worth it. You know, weighing different options and just being able to have wisdom and also knowledge at the same time. You know, I've discussed before that knowledge is knowing the answer to a question, but wisdom is knowing where to find it. I would go further now and say that vocabulary is the interpretation of wisdom. Without vocabulary, you can't interpret. You may know where to find the answer to a question. Certainly. We all know about Google. Google's a thing. DuckDuckGo, Yahoo, to some degree. There's search engines, and they will provide you with answers if you Google things. But if you don't understand the vocabulary being used in the article you're reading or in the, you know, even just like the top thing of Google when you like search a, just a general word and it gives you the definition. If you don't understand all the vocabulary that are being used, you're probably not going to understand what's going on. So that's where vocabulary gives us this interpretation and understanding of wisdom. So like, even though you know where to find an answer, it might do you no good. I can certainly find the answer to how quantum physics applies to computer computation. It's a poor example because I actually have a huge issue with this and that quantum computing isn't really quantum. Anyway, I digress as usual that if I don't have the vocabulary of quantum computing or quantum states, I guess you would say, I won't understand what the hell they're telling me. Like, I won't understand the article I read. I won't. So I'll get nothing from it. I will gain no new knowledge, but I still have the wisdom of where I can mean, I can point someone in the right direction. Now I don't know the accuracy of the statements make, being made, which is a huge issue when people just read like headlines or when someone says like, Oh, I read this. I read a, a peer reviewed paper. Well, do you understand what a peer reviewed paper is? Do you understand that I can get a paper peer reviewed if I really wanted to? Anyone can get a peer reviewed paper. Anybody could be peer reviewed and say like, no, it's complete bullshit. Or it could be peer reviewed and be stated that it's accurate. And it might be possible theoretically to hand someone enough money to make that happen either way. Who knows? Corruption's rampant everywhere. So it's good to understand the vocabulary of the situation. Because if you look really deep, specifically in news articles, I can pay someone to write a news article that I have the best podcast in the world and everyone should listen to it. And they'll publish that. I can just pay them to do that. They don't have to listen to one word I say. They don't even have to click on my website. They don't have to click on the first intro video. They don't have to click on anything. They simply need to know my name and the name of the podcast and they can make up the and what it's about and they can make up the rest for me. Hell, I could write the article for them and ask them to publish it. And with enough money, they probably will. But if you look at the vocabulary being used in articles like that, you can usually tell. You can usually tell that some of this shit was copy and pasted. Some of this shit was plagiarized. Some of it was just personal opinion that they used in a review six years ago that they just took out of that and pasted back into this one. The vocabulary is always a little off. It's always a little not there. 
But unless you have the understanding of the vocabulary they use, specifically words that don't really mean certain things and syntax, then you really you you won't understand that maybe you should look a bit deeper and look at a different article and you know and get a, another opinion or a different perspective. So vocabulary is super important. And like I said, being surrounded by that accounting vocabulary, I became better at personal finance. Hell, I became better at business finance. I became at all finances I just got better at because I was surrounded by that vocabulary. Now, that also had some repercussions on me as a person. Living in a world where I constantly watched people make large sums of money and wasted on frivolous bullshit is my own personal opinion of it really fucking sucked to watch that, but it's their money and they can do whatever they want. That's not my problem. My problem was the rampant nature of how often people were getting fucked over by the financial system. Because that was the conversation around me all the time it became very bothersome to me. It also became very bothersome to understand that there's this thing that I would probably never surpass. And there's a good chance I never will actually surpass it. It's called the, uh, it's essentially wealth gap and it's called generational wealth gap. Really is the generational wealth gap is the idea that if someone's born into money, generationally, they can, they can lose all that money or they can build enough wealth that the next following generation would then be what would be, you know, the generational wealth gap. Your parents may have worked super hard and lived a pretty common shitty life to make sure you had a better one or had a lot of savings coming your way upon their, their death or, you know, grandparents did that. There's a generational wealth gap. Me being someone who will not have children, it's nearly impossible to, in your lifetime, get through that generational wealth gap. That's not to say you can't live a nice, you know, comfortable life and eat sushi when you want to eat sushi and make a decent living. But there's, there would be no, like, there's no, there's no super early retirement for someone who didn't have money to start with. I know you've read stories about like, Oh, retired at retired at 48, you know, worked real hard their entire life. They had money somewhere, somewhere they got money. The money just doesn't come off of like nowhere and they get to invest it in a penny stock and make bajillions. That doesn't fucking happen. All right. If it does happen, it's 0.0000000 at a fuck ton more zeros. 1%. All right. There's like, six, seven billion people on this planet. Unless you were given money to begin with, you're not going to be that early retire. Unless you were given some hard asset of some sort. It's just not how it works. That is not to say it's not possible. That's just my own personal anecdotal experience. Take it as you will. So this is something I've been fighting. It's called the generational wealth gap. Well, living in a world knowing surpassing this generational wealth gap is nil impossible unless crazy things happen given the amount of debt that I started with from medical situations 
and also just shit in my past that caused me to have a, a bunch of debt that I had to get rid of. None that was really like super bothersome, but enough that was like, well, I got to get rid of this first before this could take years, blah, blah, blah. And then just be like surrounded by that, that speak all the time. Like, oh, so-and-so, you know, got hit with this debt and credit card and it's like debt, assets, liabilities, and just that accounting vernacular or, or that might be the right use. I don't really know. Anyway, that account, accounting vocabulary bombarding me constantly, making me think about like, Ugh, I need to make more money. I need to make more money. I got to work hard. And then I just got into this grind of just work, work, work. And I love working. I'm a workaholic. I don't take vacations. I just work. But the type of work was, it was affecting me bad. It was, it was affecting me in very, I don't want to call it a negative situation because I was getting a lot of positive out of it. I was making a lot of money and I was making headway in, you know, my educations of different things. It was allowing me to do different things that I didn't expect that I would be able to do. It was though giving me this, this just this cloying constant in my head about things constant, like, Oh, just, just never ending and, nagging in the back of my head, my own personal voice because of this vocabulary I was surrounded with. And I've now looked back and seen this in other situations. The language used in the workplace has in my eyes a lot to do with the overall feel of that workplace. If someone comes in and they're super negative all the time, it really has a huge effect on how the workplace interacts with itself. This is pretty prevalent in kitchens. Um, I should say the restaurant industry as a whole front or back of the house. I've done both. There is a couple different ways I've seen the back or front of the house kind of degrade in. No, no, maybe that's a negative term to use on that one, but really like come into as like a feeling you get the fuck it. Nobody cares. People you get the life sucks. Everything's fucking horrible people. And you get the, I don't give a shit people. And that weird amalgamation turns into some sort of feeling. And there can be places that destroy themselves internally because of the vocabulary being used. So I used to tell in the restaurant industry, I did some hiring and some firing and I did some management and I used to tell people, if you want to be successful in this industry, in the restaurant industry particularly, but you really, you could use this to be successful anyway, to be a good employee you generally have to just do a couple things. Show up to work on time, dressed with a good attitude and a willingness to learn. Dressed, on time, good attitude, willingness to learn. That's it. You do those four things in any job and or career. I will, I'll even apply it to a career. You do those four things, people take notice. They either give you a little leeway here or they give you more, a better schedule, a better hours, better pay. 
four easy things to be a, a, a great, not just a good, a great employee. And they're so simple. Show up on time, dressed, ready to work with a good attitude. In the restaurant industry, a lot of people don't do that. <laughs> a lot of people bring home with them because they have a shitty home life. They're getting shitty pay on the job. You're slogging through long, arduous days. You're constantly in service to someone or under someone's fucking boot. Like, it's not exactly a very friendly pace. So the vocabulary being used there tends to kind of get shitty. A lot of cursing, a lot of swearing, a lot of, you know, yelling, a lot of just the overall isn't great sometimes. And that has a lot of effect on the people there. Vice versa, the home life is the same. And I used to say home is where the horror is. The vocabulary I was around growing up wasn't great. I don't want to say there wasn't any intelligent conversations. There was maybe a lack thereof of just conversation in general. There was swearing, which, hey, I swear. You hear me? I've done it on the podcast. I'll continue doing the podcast. I really have no problem with swear words. But the connotation in which they're being used has a massive effect on the conversation. Yelling in general in the household, that's a thing. That's vocabulary you're being surrounded by. So we can look at just not only the word choices being used, but then like the way they're being expressed. That's another part of language. So you end up with just this environment that your mind's constantly going to be in. And when I was a kid, that environment was like, get yelled at, maybe get hit, lots of yelling, lots of arguments, lots of swearing, lots of name calling, lots of negative connotation, all of these things. And it, it forced upon my young impressionable mind at the time, that mentality. We also used a lot of vocabulary about being poor. Not to say we weren't, I mean, we we're pretty poor comparatively. But the reality is I grew up in one of the richest counties in the United States of America. Like top 10 list for probably as long as I've been alive. Don't quote me on that. It's probably dropped below a couple times, but whatever. I just, I grew up in a very wealthy area. So the reality is, mm, were we poor? No, we were poor in comparison to that wealth. Yes. I grew up on Velveeta cheese. I grew up on homemade Play-Doh. It's delicious, by the way. Wouldn't recommend eating it nowadays, but, you know, I grew up with hand-me-down clothing. I grew up on a farm. You know, I grew up what people would consider poor. Poor in comparison to my type of poor, to other people's type of poor, language. <laughs> like, other countries... Poor is different than American poor. I'm not degrading either one in any way. That's not what I mean to say here. They're not comparable. And this is where language has a huge effect. 
But before we get into that, there's that idea that I was surrounded by vocabulary of being poor, couldn't afford this, can't afford that. Can't, you know, you can't waste money here. We can't afford to do this. We can't afford to give you this. We can't afford to buy you that. We can't, you're, you're this family member is an asshole. You're this family member is a terrible person. This person lied to you. Oh, and lies. Oh, surround it. Like from day one, there was people lying around me my entire life. What did that do? Give me a very good skill at lying. I learned how to lie very young and I learned to be really good at lying even before most people figure out what really lying is. And that was the vocabulary I was surrounded by. So vocabulary has a very big part in our mentality and also about how we think about things, specifically ourselves. So I felt as a, as a child, my, the vocabulary I was surrounded by made me very much aware that I was poor, which made me feel lesser than others. And it wasn't just the clothes I wore to school. It was the fact that like in my mind, I was like, I'm lesser than these people. Like that person has a really like way bigger house. But like, did I really understand that? No, I understood being called like my family members saying we were poor or we couldn't afford something or expressing that other people were rich or wealthy or had like they could afford that. So it gave me maybe not so much an inferiority complex, but I definitely had an idea that I was lesser. That vocabulary made me feel lesser than these people that I was at, in school with, surrounded by. Beyond that, it also gave me this impression of broken, broken home, broken life, broken family, broken, like things weren't right. I was, I was very much surrounded by this vocabulary is telling me like, this isn't how things should be. This isn't right. This isn't correct. Or so I, I internalized that as like, well, there's something wrong with me and my family and all these other things. And then it slipped into the darker parts of my depression because I didn't quite understand it back then. I didn't know how to use it. I didn't know what it meant or why I was looking at things this way. And that continued not because of the vocabularies was using around me. It was more of the non-understanding, which is another huge part of that vocabulary and language as a whole of like that understanding. People didn't get what I was talking about. They didn't understand why I was having the conversations I was having. Why I was asking the questions about death and you know, why this, that, or the other thing. They just didn't quite understand the language I was using or why I was using it. Like, there's not like, Oh, he should just be a happy go lucky kid. I'm like what the fuck's wrong with him? And then those that did delve into it, were always using vocabulary like, Oh, you come from a broken home. Is everything okay at home? Are you being, are you being beaten? Are you know, it was always just this negative, negative language, negative connotation, negative vocabulary, negative everything. And this is why I say, we have to get rid of the negative connotation that goes along with mental health, specifically depression, or you can't have a conversation about it because you're surrounding people with language saying you're fucked up. You're fucking broken. Um, that's not going to help anyone. 
So this is why I think it's really important to understand the language that's around us. Because from that point, then I delved into, you know, what I guess people called gothic back then or is, you know, eventually I think it became like scene and alt and all the, you know, these different, there you go, terminologies for shit. Different languages inside of language. There was music involved too in this, which is where, like, if I had to think back, there's one thing I don't like nowadays. I don't listen to music with lyrics very often because lyrics have a very heavy impact on me. I'm very much okay listening to like, you know, music as a tone structure, definitely. And I think music in and of itself is a language. And I think other people can agree with me on that, but music, the tone structures and different things like that. I'm very more aware of those than I am sometimes of the language because the words get stuck in my head. And then I like, I grade on them constantly. So as a kid, I was surrounding myself with music that was part of the groups that I was kind of hanging out with now and then. And I hung out with a lot of different groups, but one of the groups I hung out with most was very much into like dark, dark music, dark lyrics, suicide, death, hate, heartbreak. And it was, it was constant. And that's surrounding yourself by language. And I don't think people understand that they do this to themselves sometimes. So this is my, like, here's my big, PSA self-awareness piece on this one. When you think about the language you've been surrounded with, I really want you to think about the music you surround yourself with and the lyrics in thereof. What are the lyrics in the songs you're listening to making you think about? What are they making you feel? What, What are you constantly surrounded by in the vocabulary of the music that you're listening to. I'm going to go out here on a limb and say, there's some extremes and I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to them because well, music's an art and you know, different people get different things out of it. What I am saying is that if you're constantly listening to grunge, heavy metal and guar and like, just like deep dark. And I'm not, I'm not, shitting on Guar here, just using an example. If you're listening to that type of music constantly with no reprieve, that's all you get. You're going to express yourself that way. You are going to mold yourself into that vocabulary and that world outlook. You've surrounded yourself by that, that vocabulary. That's how you're going to think. You're going to interpret things through that language structure. The same goes for gangster rap. I'm not a big fan of rap music in general, but like gangster rap has a very specific vocabulary they use. And I'm saying it shouldn't exist. No, not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if all someone does is listen to gangster rap, how do you think they're going to look at the world? How do you think they're going to look at the world? Drugs are great. I should, I should sell drugs. I should shoot people. I should kill people. I should, should fuck whoever I want. Fuck them. I should rape them. Like these are the language structures you are surrounding yourself with. And I'm not saying all gangster rap is like that. I get it. It's a, it's a type of music. What I'm saying is look at the vocabulary in the music of that genre. There you go. Genre. I can 
state this about almost any genre. And there will be a correlation, in my opinion, to how someone's world outlook is put together by the music they listen to. So I challenge you to look at the music you regularly listen to. How often are you listening to this? Not why. Remember, I don't like asking why about things. How often are you listening to it? What is it making you feel? What is it causing you to think about regularly? How is it changing the impact? How is it impacting the way you look around life in general? If someone is super in to just dark, hate like hatred type music, they're going to have that as their filter because that's the vocabulary they've surrounded themselves with. Those are the words you're going to hear. When you think, when someone says something to you, you're going to interpret it through that vocabulary structure because you surrounded yourself with it. Just as when someone came to me about a personal line of credit they wanted to take, I am instantly go into an accounting mindset because that's the vocabulary being presented and that's the vocabulary I know. Or on the other hand, someone can come to me with a muscle imbalance issue or a pain in their left shoulder and I will go into my medical side of things with massage and sports medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, and all these different other things I know about the human body. Like so, if someone comes to me about mental health or depression or self-awareness, I go into that type of vocabulary, which is kind of what I want to discuss here. Your vocabulary is a part of the language you use. It's a very big part. And if we're not aware of the vocabulary that we regularly use or regularly impose upon ourselves, then our language can be misstrewn. And our language can maybe get away from us in some ways. So that if you take the idea of bigotry towards other cultures due to a misunderstanding of language, you can kind of take the macro to look at your micro. It's very often that a specific people, I won't put any bigger statements on it just yet, will use the idea that someone cannot understand another person due to language to create a barrier of fear. And then through that fear, they can create animosity and they can create maybe even hatred simply because you don't understand the language. And then you can use that idea and build it into something bigger that anyone who speaks that language you don't understand is a threat to you. You should avoid them. The reality is most modern day languages all have common roots or some sort of commonality that if you really look at them, and a great way to do this if you want to read a book is read uh, The Loom of Language, um, which is a book I've been slowly getting through, so I won't speak on it today in, in length, but... There are exposés and, and looks at language about how they have common structures. Syntax is one of those. And the root and history thereof languages 
is a great look at humanity as a whole. And that's the macro. Well, this works micro too, as above, so below. The balance structure, right? So if I look at the language I understand the best, I should say. That's the way I interpret things. I interpret the world around me through the English language. I am no master thereof, but that's the language that goes through my head. It's the voice in my head uses English. I have some understanding of other languages. I also have a huge understanding of bad translation. That was my entire martial arts career was learning that there's a lot of bad translation out there. So given those ideas, I was able to create a self-awareness idea of like, okay, how am I interpreting things? All right. This goes back to like, how do you learn? Right. If I don't understand the vocabulary of it, I need to, I need to take that separation. I need to take myself out of that mentality because as soon as you realize, oh, I just don't understand the vocabulary being used here. I, I don't understand the, the context. I don't understand any, I don't understand what's going on here. Then you get to remove yourself from what I guess could be taken as uncomfort, you know, a, a discomfort of, oh, I don't What's, what's going on? I don't under, you're using a different language. I, I don't like it. Like soon as you realize, and that's even inside of like English itself, as I'm talking about, like if you are in a financial conversation and don't have any financial vocabulary, soon as you realize you don't have that vocabulary, you can remove yourself from the discomfort of the negative side that could come from that. The bigotry that could come from that. You can simply go, Hey, I don't fucking understand what you're talking about. <laughs> Can you please explain to me why I need to know the terms of this agreement in the form of an annual percentage for a loan that I want to take out and then have that explained or look it up yourself or, and then if you don't understand that completely find a professional, those types of things, not to put the blinders on and have bigotry because you don't understand it. It's the self-awareness piece of, Hey, my vocabulary doesn't understand what's going on here. My language has no, is not effective here. I don't, I don't get this language happening. There's another statement. I, I don't understand what language, what type of language you're using. It, it's not, I don't understand. And then once we have that, we can kind of get rid of the outside influence that, that representation of bigotry that's often tried to be pushed upon us. You know, in the United States of America, there's a lot of xenophobia. In China, there's a massive amount of xenophobia I can tell you about. Um, almost every country has a little bit of xenophobia. There's going to be someone in that country who's just like, fuck everybody else. It's not one of my country people. Okay. But there are institutional ideas and very powerful individuals who will use that against someone. And this is where it's really important to have this self-awareness piece. What's the language you use and are most comfortable with? 
how does the language structures around you affect your everyday or farther out outlook of mentality? You know, is the language at your workplace affecting you on a mental level and how can you control that? Is the music you're listening to keeping you in a mental state you really don't want to be in? Or could music be used to get you out of the mental state you're currently in? What does music do for your mental state? What does a conversation do for your mental state? What does the conversations around you, how do they impact your mental state? What language and vocabulary do you use to represent yourself? And is it really who you are? I often try to speak more intelligently than I probably am because I want to be more intelligent. And I get it wrong a lot. And some people feel like I might be talking down to them. And in the past, I was because I didn't understand. I didn't understand the way I was presenting myself and the vocabulary I was using and the way I was speaking was talking down to others. And at times I still do that, but I really try not to. I make it an active conversation in my own head of, hey, asshole, why are you using that type of language? Why are you speaking to that person this way? Do they have any possibility of understanding what you're saying? Do they have the vocabulary necessary to understand you? Like, are you just using words that are completely outside of their wheelhouse? This is where self-awareness will progress into situational awareness, awareness of other people and their mentalities. And it, this is the world I'm, I'm starting to live in. Haven't even gotten completely into it. But as I say, business, people are my business. And I finally come to this point where I feel like if you can garner enough self-awareness, you can use that as your own personal dictionary or your own personal thesaurus or your own personal language structure to understand other people better. Not only to understand yourself, but when you, when you really look at the depths of self-awareness, I think you'll find an ability to understand other people better. And not just so much the idea of like benefit of the doubt or it's more of how do I want to present myself? Who do I want to surround myself with? What are the types of situations I enjoy and don't enjoy? And that I can understand that other people might. Music's a huge topic in of that self, like in of that idea. I don't listen to rap music. I don't like the vocabulary used. I don't, it doesn't resonate with me anyway. Any, in any way. There are some that I, you know, there's some rap music in the past. I like, I prefer lyricist. This is where I'll, I'll digress a little bit. I enjoy lyric, like a lyricist, like someone like Aesop rock, not Aesop Rocky, Aesop rock. I consider him an, a lyricist and I enjoy his lyricism that type you know, but some people would consider that rap. It's just maybe that's the very specific type of rap I like. And I haven't really gone in that direction to look at it more, but generalized what people consider rap music. I'm not a fan of 
It's just not who I am. Same for country music. I don't resonate with the idea of country music. I love reggae. <laughs> but then again, like I don't like music with lyrics in general, unless I'm seeking it out. If I'm seeking out lyricism, then you could just listen to some Aesop rock. Other than that, I just generally listen to lo-fi hip hop. So like, it's not that I'm like against certain pieces. Well, no, I guess it is. I'm, I'm against certain like types of pieces due to the vocabulary might be being used. Just doesn't resonate with me. Not my thing. Could be your thing. That's fine. But I challenge you again to look at what you're surrounding yourself with. And if it does resonate with you, that's a bigger conversation to have with yourself. Why does it resonate with you? And it could be good or bad. Don't know. I have no idea. That's for, that's for you to decide. It's for you to look into. That's a challenge of self-awareness is to actually have the conversation with like, do I just listen to this music because I like the beat? There's plenty of that. Drum and bass, dubstep, <laughs> lo-fi music, uh, all sorts of stuff. 8-bit. Trust me, there's a ton of music out there. But if certain music resonates with me, is it the vocabulary? Is it the beat? Is it the type of music? Like these, like there's always this little like extra step you can take in the self-awareness process to delve a little deeper. And language is the way we go about it. And building your own language. What is, what is your language? How do I speak you? We see this a lot with people who do impressions. It's not just the colloquial speech patterns. It's not just the connotation. It's not, you know, the different pieces of their speech structure or the tone, all these other different things that go into a voice or the way someone talks. Impersonation is an understanding of someone else's language. A lot of people do this with accents. I pick up accents very quickly. It's just something I've done since I was a little kid. I've been around a lot of accents in my life. So much so that I, I try to refrain from doing so. But like if I hear someone with an accent, I usually want to try and guess where it's from. Because I've just heard so many. I've been around so many different people in that regard. That it's, I don't want to call it a game, but like it's a, an interesting thing for me to be like, can I hear enough of it to pick up where it came from? And, but the problem is I'll sometimes pick up that accent and use it. And that can be offensive to some people. So I do my best not to do it. That being said, I have played D and D in my life and anyone who's ever played in D and D has probably used an accent at some point because that's a thing. It's a part of acting and part of D and D is acting in some ways. So that is, idea of impersonation specifically when people do it using an accent like when someone's trying to use an accent to impersonate a, a culture if you will or a, a speech pattern is an attempt at an understanding of someone else's language have you ever thought about how someone would impersonate you 
have you ever thought about what you sound like? What vocabulary you use? How do you say things? I'm a very soft-spoken individual. My voice does not progress very far for a huge reason. I don't like loud noises. I never have since I was a little kid. I hated being on the farm around the tractors and the cows and banging and yelling and, and in my home with the slamming of doors and screaming and yelling and cursing. and Even a loud TV was enough to be like, I don't like it. I, I don't like loud noises. I lived on a, a shipping lane for um, a company. So they had trucks constantly, night, day, all the time. Jake brake, you know, just the, uh, the air brake and air horn, all that, like hearing trucks go by. I ran a fan in my room to drown out excess noise outside of my room. I have done ever since. I don't like loud noises. My voice has become not that loud. I used to yell when I was a kid. Uh, my voice can project very far and be very loud. But as I've gotten older, I really just, I don't like loud noises. So my voice in and of itself has taken on that quality. It's part of my language. It's part of my speech pattern. It's part of how I do things. Is I don't, I don't like to use loud language. It's just, just not how I am. And I find I can see in other people those types of things. So, you know, have you ever thought about how you would be impersonated? How would someone talk like you? What language would they use? What vocabulary would they use? How would they speak to someone else? How has the environment you've lived in changed the way you use your language? What is the language of you? The language of Phil is typically very introverted, introspective, quiet. Again, my voice doesn't project a lot. And it's usually long-winded. <laughs> I over-explain things constantly. And I enjoy explaining things. I enjoy teaching. And, and I come at most conversations from that perspective. It's very rare that I'm not trying to explain something when speaking. Because I really some of the only times I do actually speak in my personal everyday and even business life. This podcast is some of the most speaking I do. So again, what is the language you've been surrounded by? What is the language you surround yourself with now? How does it affect your mind? How does it affect the way you interact with the world? How you see things, how you hear things, how you do things? How are you presenting yourself through language? Is that the presentation you want to give off? Is yelling and screaming and being loud and using curse words and all that how you want to present yourself? If so, that's fine. I, I, I don't care. In general, I really don't give a fuck. I've said this before. Like I don't care. I'm just here to push at your mind a little bit to have you, you know, this is what self-awareness is. Where I learned a lot of my self-awareness from is a personal story I'll get into at times, but because it's, it's, it's lengthy, not that I won't share it, but it's lengthy and I've shared some of it, but a lot of it came from the Zen um, aspect of meditation. Like that's how I learned some of these things to begin with. 
And the Zen world, it's not like this stoic idea because there is stoicism and there's Zen and they share some similarities. But in the Zen world, like it's a lot of like, I don't give a fuck about you. But like, I'm going to fuck with you. (laughs) That's kind of what they do in some ways. So I don't mean it harshly when I say like, I don't give a fuck. It's just that like, you're going to do with this what you're going to do with it. I've learned that a long time ago. You can lead a horse to water. You can't make it drink. That's an interesting anecdotal line. Here's a different one. You can lead a horse to water. But does it know that it's fucking water? Does it care why you let it there? That's a better conversation in my head. If you lead a horse to water, does it know why you let it there? How this helps it in any way? Is it thirsty? It's not that I can't make it drink. I really wanted to make a horse drink. Make a horse drink. Probably really bad to do, but this is where that's a lot of what the Zen anecdotal stories, the canonical writings of Zen and uh, of Chan Buddhism as well. But there's stories to make you think, and there's specific language they use to do that. This is where. I got the idea of, I don't give a fuck (laughs) because I know you're going to use this in your own specific manner. And that's part of your self-awareness is to even figure out interactions of, of self-awareness and cultivating self-awareness are so deeply personal to you that you're going to have your own experience with it. And you're going to create and interpret it through the language in which you use You may hear my voice and the words spilling out of it. That's not to say that's what you're hearing though. Like, yes, scientifically, I have said words and you have heard them, maybe read them, but you're going to interpret them. And that's where that's your own personal language. Language is dual fold, not only in the way we express it to other people, but language is also our translation. You are translating it through your language, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. It takes a long time to learn about someone to a level that you understand the language in which they've interpreted you through. That's a deep understanding of a human being, of another person. That's a whole conversation in and of itself about how And then how like people who are used to each other's language develop their own types of language and it becomes nonverbal in some ways and little, you know, taps on the shoulder or different things. The vocabulary changes given the structure of the language of those people. And this is why vocabulary can be so important. Like in a restaurant, if you hear the word behind, don't fucking turn around. Do not turn around. Behind doesn't mean, in in a restaurant, behind doesn't mean turn around and face me, it means I am behind you and I am probably carrying something hot or sharp. Don't move. Don't move towards me. There's something, someone is behind you. You should not move towards them because you are probably going to hurt you or them by doing so. 
That's a huge vocabulary lesson about working in a restaurant. If you heard the word behind, behind just means, hey, don't turn around, don't back up, don't just continue doing whatever you're doing. I'm going to move around you. But if you move backwards or spin towards me, you're going to fuck this up. So don't do it. You know, there's, and that's, that's what I mean about like, that's vocabulary. That's the language that you surround yourself with and the language you project and translate through. There's a general understanding in a kitchen that if you hear behind, that's what it means. But outside of there, might have a completely different meaning to you. Or you might start using it outside of there. People wondering what the fuck's going on. And language is not just, this is one of the last pieces I wanted to get to, is language is not just verbal and it's not just written and it's not just, it's not just what we think of when we think of languages. It's, Totality. It is perception. Everything is a language in some way or another. If you were to never learn a verbal language, you may still make sounds. Baby cry. That's a language. Most parents that I've spoken to get some sort of understanding of like, ah, that's a hungry cry. Oh, that's it. It's got a poop cry. Oh, that's an it hurt itself's cry. Well, we got to, well, we'll figure out where is it? What did it do? Animals are the same way. There's a, I'm going to fucking bite your face off bark. And there's a, Hey, I'm having fun bark. And an owner of an animal of dog, particularly cats, cats are a weird thing. Cats are pure chaos. They're Amalgamation of chaos created by chaos to be chaos, chaos incarnate in and of itself. So don't ever trust a meow because one meow is not similar to another meow. They all have their own meows, but they're not what you think they are for a reason because they don't want you to. Anyway, I love cats. That's one of my favorite animals. Anyway, these languages are ever present everywhere all the time. And there's language in everything. As above, so below. The balance there is if you cannot define your own language and don't understand how language is being presented to you and affects you, you are incapable of having a conversation with and of yourself, about yourself, or to define who you are. Because that's what languages do. They define things. Languages exist to create more understanding. We very regularly use it to create misunderstanding. But language as a structure, as a, as a, as a tool, as something, as a technology, languages really should be seen as technologies. Language as a technology creates a better understanding of something. The language of plants, the language of animals, the language of, people, the language of yourself. This is why I think it's important to understand 
what is your language? How do other languages affect you? Both in a self-awareness and mental health aspect. Although they're fairly linked at this point, but how are you interpreting the world due to the language you're using? If you've never added any, I don't like using happiness as a focus point. We're not all striving to be happy. I think we can all strive to be content. If you don't have an understanding or a language structure to define what content is for you or what your needs are, how are you supposed to engage with anything else and get those things? If you can't define through your language what your basic needs are, how can you give that to someone else to help you with? How can you define it to yourself? So language gives us definition. It gives us a way to look at and describe and interact with the world around us. And it doesn't have to be complex. It really doesn't. Usually over, com over complexity or you know, too much complexity leads to misunderstanding. That's its, you know, the world it lives in. Language specifically gives us the idea of, as I've discussed before, duality or both sides of the same coin. Balance. These things are, are created with language because language gives us definition in whatever way we choose to express it. But it is the measurement that we use to create balance. Something's extreme. Something's subtle. Something's loud. Something's soft. Something's big. Something's small. If we don't understand that language, we can't interpret those ideas. So if I don't know how to define happiness I can find the definition for it because I can define sadness it doesn't mean I'm trying to seek to be happy but I do know what happiness is happiness is the opposite of sadness well I'm pretty well versed at being sad I've done that a lot which means I'm capable of being happy. And now I just have to play the measurement game in between. And that's being content. My depression defines how I see the world. And I quite often use it because depression is a tool, as I said before. It's a very powerful tool that can be used. No part of my depression is now singularly negative anymore. It certainly has negative aspects. There are some negative things I've done due to my depression. But in and of itself is not defined as, nor should it be defined as, a negative. Because as soon as I give it that connotation, as soon as I give it that definition, that's the language there it will, it, it will express. It will express that language. Well, I don't give it that. Instead, 
I give it kind of a middle of the road stoic idea. Not big on emotions. Not a fan of them. Not saying they don't exist. Just saying I don't measure most things on emotional responses. Not how I go about my life. Not necessary. So my language expresses that. And that expresses my depression. So this is why I think language is an important topic to look at for yourself, for others, to understand the world, to understand everything. We define it through language. And if we're going to have conversations about self-awareness or you're going to have a conversation with yourself about self-awareness, much more important than talking to me about it, understanding the language that's being used or understanding the language you're using will benefit you. I'm almost certain it will benefit everyone to some extent to better become self-aware by understanding the languages being used and the language they are using. And then you can learn at that point to separate yourself from language that you don't want to be surrounded by. I chose to no longer associate myself with the family that people would call my blood relatives because they are that to me. They are just blood relations. I shared genetical code with them. I disassociated myself with them because I didn't like the language being used and the language being used was not beneficial to me in any way. I, to this day, cannot define what love is. It's not a definition I hold. If hatred is the opposite of love, then certainly, yes, I could probably look at it and define it. But to be honest, I hold very little hatred for anyone, nor has anyone really held that much hatred for me. There have been a few people who I could define as having hated me, and I'm sure there are many. But it's not a personal... I'm stoic by nature and have been since I read Marcus Aurelius at like 11 years old. Didn't quite understand it back then. Still don't quite. That's another story. Marcus Aurelius is essentially where we get stoicism from. And the book he wrote, Meditations, or the book that is being presented as him having written, it's really just um, his journal. Uh, It's called Meditations is a odd way of getting stoicism to the masses because Marcus Aurelius was a, a warrior poet leader who was self-reflecting to himself because he was unable to do that to anyone else. He was the highest ranking individual, both militaristically and socially as the king and general of the army who had no equal and thus could not show any weakness nor show that much emotional response because he was constantly surrounded by individuals who wanted to dispose him or in some way create chaos or harm. And so he only could speak in on to himself about himself. And thus he wrote his meditations, his journal, and we've expressed that as the writings of Stoicism, when in reality it was an individual writing 
to themselves about themselves because they could not do that to anyone else. So funny idea there, but I'll digress as per usual. The idea of language, even in the world of stoicism is a defining nature. Language defines things. So again, how are you defining the world around you? How are, I think I've, I've lost track of the whole love thing because I don't want to get into it. Leave it at stoicism. I'm, I'm shading away from that one for now. So how are you defining things? How do you define things? What language helps you define them? What language are you being surrounded by? Like I said, I completely eliminated myself from that family because it didn't serve me in my way of thinking. It, it only made things worse for me. So I separated myself because I was, I did not want to be surrounded by that type of language. I didn't want to be surrounded by sexual abuse. I did not want to be surrounded by the disregard thereof when the topic came up. I didn't want to be around a language structure that was lies and deceit and misunderstanding. A lot of it was just the people I was speaking to didn't understand. They didn't get it. They didn't have the information to get it. So I just stepped away from that. And that's on me. It's not on them. It's on me. I decided I don't want to be a fucking part of this. I'm leaving. And some of them have definitely cursed my name for there. Don't care. I chose mix that. I choose the language I'm surrounded by. I choose the language I use and I choose the definition and terms and structures of the language in which I see the world. And I can choose not to be around some. I am not ignorant of that though. And I am not ignorant of other languages. At the beginning of this podcast, it says, come get triggered. And I've spoken about getting triggered before. There's a misunderstanding of the language being used. If it triggers you that harshly, if it triggers you that hard. And you need to look at that because it means you're not in control. I control the language being used around me and the language I use. My interpretations, my vocabulary, my structure, my syntax, my connotation, my perception, my adverbs, my verbs, my vernacular. I control the language. Not that I disregard everyone else's. I simply control mine and the language being used around me. You can be triggered. You can just walk away. As soon as you turn, turn away. Don't misunderstand the situation. Don't not look at it from your perspective and understand what's going on. Don't disregard everything happening because a different language was being used. It may be a better idea when triggered to look at what triggers you and simply go, I don't understand. 
How can I understand? And then if I dislike it, fine. Fuck it. I don't want anything to do with it. But if you don't interact with the languages surrounding you and understand why. Oh, wait. Almost said why. Understand how they're negatively affecting you. Then being triggered and just wanting to walk away from something is being ignorant. That's ignorance. You are ignoring. The definition of ignorance is to ignore something. You are being ignorant thereof. If you're ignoring something, you're not learning from it. Some life lessons suck. Some life lessons are hard. Not all life lessons are great. A lot of self-awareness is shitty. It's hard learning these things about yourself. But understand that it's a language. And you get to choose the definitions. You get to choose the interpretations. It behooves you to make sure that those aren't just bigoted and they aren't just based off of ideas that weren't your own. What is your language? Not the regurgitation of something you learned as a fact or the regurgitation of the bigotry you grew up in or the shitty home life that you were raised upon or the crappy job you have right now and the assholes who work there. That's just regurgitation. Maybe the person working next to you has another shitty home life just like you do. And so you're constantly at words with each other because you're coming from bad backgrounds of language. You don't understand that your vocabulary is actually very similar and you can draw some conclusions to each other of being like, oh man, you have a shitty home life? Yeah, I have a shitty home life too. Let's just leave that at home. They might still be a shitty person. I don't know. And maybe you can just tell them the fuck off. But when you, when you pass through these borders of language, you get a better understanding of the world around you as a whole. And it works in not only languages, but language. And I hope I've, I hope I've determined some differentiality there of it both works in the idea that someone who speaks Japanese, Nihongo ga wakarimasu understand Japanese. That's what I just asked you. Nihongo, Japanese language. Wakarimasu, ka, question. Ka denotes a question. So Nihongo ga, Japanese language, wakarimasu, understand, question. We translate that into the English language of, do you understand or do you speak Japanese? Do you understand Japanese? But if you look at how they've worded it, we have to translate that, flip it around, and then answer the question. No, I do not understand Japanese. No, understand. Negative connotation of the word understand. So, nope, no understand. Or understand, no. Negative. <laughs> Negative understanding. So, just in languages, we have this filtration system. And it's defined by our language. And then inside of that language, we have another filtration system 
defined by the language we use and surround ourselves with or are surrounded with, be it by choice or not. But you do get to choose. You might not be able to leave the situation right away, but you can choose that this is a situation you don't want to be in. These are languages you don't want to be surrounded by. That might even come down to just the job you have, like I had with accounting. I just chose not to be surrounded by a set of language every day that made me really hate every day and constantly being like forced into a, a mentality of my own doing that was just so heavily focused on money constantly. And yes, I take a great enjoyment for money. But if that's how I'm defining every day of my life, it's not going to go well because I'm fighting that generational wealth gap. That's the reality thereof. So like I said, some self-awareness lessons aren't great, but we can manipulate them because you can manipulate language. Buddha said life is suffering. Pretty common quote. You choose what suffering is, if you choose how you define suffering, that changes things. So I used to say, Buddha said the life is suffering. But when you change how you, when you choose how you suffer, then it becomes different. Well, let's go one step farther. What about defining what suffering is? Let's define how we suffer. The Buddha said life is suffering. Well, I'm going to define how I suffer. I suffer going to work, the responsibility of my bills. I also suffer through some delicious sushi now and then. I also suffer through a delicious pizza every once in a while. I also suffer through rowing for a half hour, 45 minutes or an hour because I'm getting fat, you know. Choose how you suffer. But do that through the definition of it and do that through the language that you understand and use. And I hope you will progress the language you're using. I every day strive to refine the language I'm using. And then I challenge myself deeply to gain more understanding of the language around me, languages in general. I don't think I've shared this yet, but I believe in the intro to this podcast, I mentioned how I used to be highly suicidal and very actively suicidal, and I'm not anymore. The change from that is because of the language I used and how I defined it. I changed the language of the goal in which I inherently look for. I understand enlightenment to be death. So I am constantly seeking death because I wish to be enlightened. I'm not so much seeking nirvana. What my goal is and what changed me from being actively suicidal, I still self-harm. I choose to do so through tattoos. But my active change in language towards my goal was this. I believe anecdotally reincarnation is plausible, highly plausible. I actually think it's the most plausible thing that happens after we die due to conservation of energy and the idea of mentality 
and the I am, the self and self-awareness, consciousness, if you will. I also believe that there's some nefarious activity going on when it comes to reincarnation. And well, I'm fucking tired of it. And I'm seeking actively to figure out how to stop it from happening. Be that immortality in a physical life or just not reincarnating. However that happens in the spiritual realm of things. Right now, the mortal life part is the part that is more pressing because I have more control over it, more understanding through my knowledge and vocabulary and knowledge of language of medical things and the human body as a general whole, be it mentally or physically, specifically that of the musculoskeletal system, getting better with the other parts. But that means when I do self-harm, I do it through tattoos. I don't think tattoos are going to have a giant sway on my length of physical mortal life, but maybe, but I still do it because I choose to, but I do take a massive supplement regimen. I do physically work out. I do heat shock proteins with saunaing. I take care of my body because I, in my language, in my understanding of language, my definition is this physical body, not mine. This is a collective organization of cells and other things that make up a physical form that I somehow have gained control over. So I have a responsibility to it. Suicide would not gain me any better control over the situation. This isn't mine to control. This is a, a self-organized collective known as a human body. It's made of a bunch of different cells. And I'm constantly actively seeking more language and more understanding of that to grasp that idea. Because that idea kind of kept me from killing myself on multiple occasions. That and the idea of reincarnation. I might have to do this again. Ugh. I don't want to just done and I get to be done. So instead of killing myself and then having to do this all again, I'd rather spend the time that I have in this life seeking a way to stop that from happening. Cause I'm just fucking done. And I'm just tired of it. Tired of reincarnation. Stupid. Done with it. I changed my language. I changed the language I was using about the life I was leading. And it changed who I was as a person, how I think about things. I don't hold the knife to my wrist. I get the artist to tattoo it. <laughs> Both sides. I don't speak about death in a connotation in which I there wish for physical death. I study the mysteries and I look at what is consciousness? What is self-awareness? I think to understand consciousness as a whole, we certainly need to understand self-awareness more. And we'd certainly need more self-awareness to get to that level. 
We don't know what's possible. We have not studied it yet. That's why I think self-awareness is important. And that's why I think language is an important part of self-awareness. Because when you control your language, you control how you define things, you control how you describe things, you, you control a lot. Language is a very, very powerful tool. It's a powerful tool in controlling others and it's a powerful tool in controlling you. It's a powerful tool in keeping others from controlling you. So what is your language? How does language affect you? What, are, what kind of languages are you surrounded by? How can you change the language you use on a regular basis or is being used around you to change things? I'm not going to say better things. I don't know. But change can be enacted by the language being used. There's entire self-help books written on the idea of just changing language, self-manifestations. Entire meditation systems are based on repetition of language. It's what a mantra is. So language is definitely important. And the first aspect of Working with languages is to understand the language you are using and being surrounded by. And thus, I think it's an important topic for you to think about. Because in reality, that's all I'm really trying to do here is to make you think. In fact, for a long time, I've been trying to work on a program called Think, Taming Hindrances in Neural Kinetics. And I think this might be the very pieces to make that up. So I choose to use language to make you think more. Think about yourself. Think about the people around you. Think about your mental health, your self-awareness. To think. Because even thinking is its own language. And we use language to think. So go, think, do. Use language. Create more language. Have a better understanding of language. And I think it'll help you find uh, more about yourself. So that's all I have for you today. Thanks for listening. Uh, come back and uh, listen more to my rants. It's always appreciated. Check us out at taminghindrances.com and uh, have a great day. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.